Hello everyone, welcome to this second AML podcast. In the first podcast, we focused on the updating of your CDD process. And in this podcast, we will focus on a totally different topic, something that is often neglected, the extraterritorial effects of the AML Act 2004. Intuitively, professionals would tend to think that they will fall within the scope of the AML Act 2004, only if they are established in Luxembourg. But it is misconception of the scope of the 2004 Act, since, as we will discuss with Batest in a few minutes, the AML Act 2004 have effects that goes beyond, actually, the Luxembourg territory. This extraterritorial effect, in fact, is not really new. Foreign professionals were already impacted under the previous version of the EML Act 2004. But the recent amendments following the implementation of AML Day 5 have contributed to actually make things even clearer than before. And the EML Act 2004 does not only directly impact certain foreign professionals providing services in Luxembourg, but some provisions will also indirectly impact foreign professionals, even if they actually do not provide services in Luxembourg. For example, because they belong to the same group as a Luxembourg-based professional in scope of the ML Act 2004. Another topic that has been subject to quite some changes and that we will discuss today, it's the dealing with high-risk jurisdictions. So let's go now and talk about extraterritorial effects of the ML Act 2004. We have today our expert, Baptiste, to whom I will ask a series of questions on this topic. Baptiste, first of all, I would like to, to have a look at the territorial scope of the ML Act 2004. My understanding is that under the new version of the ML Act 2004, express clarifications have been given as regard the territorial scope. Could you guide us through these clarifications? Of course, Thomas. Maybe to start in a, in a nutshell, the um, amendments introduced have made it clear that while the AML-CTF regime derives from harmonized rules at EU level, which would mean that uh, all EEA entities uh, subject to AML requirements should be subject more or less to the same obligations as implemented in their home jurisdiction, they still need to comply with precisely national law in the absence of a potential EEA AML uh, regulation in the, in the future. So EEA entities may therefore need to comply with the Luxembourg AML CTF framework when they provide services in Luxembourg. So looking at the two situations where foreign professionals are likely to fall within the scope of the AML Act, uh, the recent amendments to the law clarify that in the one hand, uh, the territorial scope of the AML Act 2004 applies to, and I think it's important to note, Luxembourg-based TIDE agents when a professional is providing services in the context of MIFID, so investment services, and Luxembourg-based agents within the meaning of uh, the Payment Services Directive. And it also confirms, in, a, in the other hand, uh, that the CSSF is the competent authority to control compliance with professional obligations under the AML Act for both 
in the one hand Luxembourg branches of foreign professionals that are that are notified to or authorized by the CSSF that will depend on whether we are considering a branch of another EEA institution or a branch of a third country institution. And, and maybe more surprising to some of those who are listening, but nothing new at all, foreign professionals that are notified or not actually through their EEA passport to the CSSF, which would provide services in Luxembourg without a branch, but on a cross-border basis. So as the competent authority in charge of the supervision of those professionals, the new text of Article 211 of the law makes it very clear that the competence of the CSSF is triggered, at least for EEA institution, I should say, are triggered by the notification of a passport to Luxembourg. And that works for both the establishment of branches and the provision of services on a cross-border basis. This is clearly in line with uh, the established concept of the residual competence in terms of AML-CTF obligations of the host member state authority at EEA level. This is shared basically by all our uh, neighboring countries and the uh, EU27. How the CSSF can and will exercise its competence on professionals that are not Luxembourg-based remains particularly, or I should say, at least partially unclear. However, the passport notification process and the EEA cooperation measures in place when we talk about EEA institutions between competent authorities, that would enable uh, in our view, transfer of information and possibly the organization of enforcement measures by the relevant authorities. So any professional using its freedom to provide services in Luxembourg should therefore be mindful of the AML Act and take into consideration all the obligations it will have to perform under that specific piece of law. Thank you, Badist. Now, Badist, I would like to focus on the indirect impact that the provisions of the MLI 2004 has on foreign entities. And I think that this impact may be more subtle, but it is nevertheless very important. And I understand that this impact is actually not limited to a group environment. Am I correct? You're, you're perfectly right, Thomas. And this is actually a topic which requires uh, particular attention and um, analysis, and mainly in relation to two different sets of obligations, I would say. The first set of obligations are the um, obligations for the professionals uh, to put in place group policies and procedures. So that is directly impacting the, the group structures and the obligations of the professionals established in Luxembourg. So professionals who are part of a group are required to implement group-wide policies and procedures, including data protection policies, as well as, and this is very relevant, policies and procedures relating to the sharing of information within the group for anti-money laundering and uh, counter-terrorism financing purposes. The content of these policies and pr procedures has been clarified in the amended AML Act 2004, which is helpful. Notably, the text of Article 4-1-1 of the AML Act has been slightly completed in order to reflect the fact that group policies and procedures must be tailored to the situation of each group. And I quote the article, these policies and procedures must be implemented effectively and appropriately, this is the key term, taking into account in particular the identified risks of money laundering and terrorist financing 
and the nature, particularities, size, and activity of branches and subsidiary at the level of branches and majority-owned subsidiaries established in a member state and third country. So this is particularly specific to say that all the relevant elements in the context of a group and its, let's say, constituting members will have to be taken into account to tailor the policy. The group-wide policies and procedures to be put in place are also not expressly listed in the same article that I just mentioned. Namely, you need to have policies, controls and procedures that will enable the professional to mitigate and effectively manage the money laundering and terrorist financing risks identified at international, European, national, sectoral and professional levels, which is quite quite granular and quite detailed obligation. And the second purpose of that policies and obligation should be to ensure that employees, uh, including members of the management bodies and the authorized management, are aware of the professional obligations relating to the, fin to the fight sorry, against money laundering and terrorist financing, as well as of the applicable data protection requirements. So basically, in these procedures, not only you, you need to manage the money laundering risk at group level, but also you need to have policies in place that will enable you to train the relevant employees and also manage the obligations uh, in relation to the relevant data protection laws. The second set of policies that are uh, listed in that article are policies which are accompanied by controls and procedures for the provision of information from branches and subsidiaries in relation to their cooperation with financial units of their relevant jurisdictions. This information is uh, the information relating to customers, accounts and transactions and where necessary for the purposes of anti-money laundering and terrorism financing compliance, audits and anti-money laundering and terrorist financing functions at group level. The laws goes further and specifies that this includes data and analysis of transactions or activities that appear unusual if such analysis have been carried out uh, and information related to specific report or the fact that such a report has been transmitted to the FIU. So mainly our understanding of this provision would mean that you especially are obliged as a professional subject to that law to share information in relation to high-risk or uh, suspicious activities of your clients. And finally, the laws also require that adequate safeguards as regards confidentiality and the use of information exchange are ensured. So this is sort of a difficult tension that uh, we've seen professionals facing in the sense that in the one hand, you need to be transparent as much as possible and share information within the group, but still you need to make sure that you comply with any confidentiality uh, and data protection obligations that you may have, which sometimes can be uh, of a tricky nature. We believe that these new specifications in the law are very useful guidance because before professionals had to make their own interpretation of what this obligation of implementing information sharing policies at group level uh, should have been uh, complied with. The amendments don't stop here. There have also been clarifications introduced in the AML Act in respect of the possibility to exchange AML-related information within a group in specific contexts. And for that, I would uh, particularly quote Article 5.5 of the law, uh, which has been amended to provide that the very well-known no tipping off obligation does not apply to disclosure between credit and financial institutions in the context of a group. And the law says, uh, provided that these institutions belong to the same group. This may seem like something that was 
already in place, something that was logical. It was the case before the implementation of AMLD4. It was somehow doubtful under the first, uh, let's say, iteration of the uh, amended act after the implementation of AMLD4. It has now been clarified again. There is clearly this right and in a way also obligation in the context of information sharing policies to share information about suspicious activities within a group without risking the no tipping off obligation breach in that case. Now, the second uh, set of obligations that I was mentioning, Thomas, is the obligations for professionals to ensure the um, application of measures equivalent to those set out in the AML Act in foreign branches and majority-owned subsidiaries. This is an obligation that bears on the Luxembourg professionals, but that they, these professionals will need to ensure at the level of their own branches and subsidiaries, whether they are in the EU or in, well, whether they are in Luxembourg first, in the EU or even in third countries. That this is nothing new, but on this topic, I would say that slight adjustments have been introduced. The first one would be that the list of relevant measures to be applied in, in foreign branches and majority on subsidiaries has been completed. Notably, professionals shall be required to apply measures that are at least equivalent to those of either the AML Act or the directive, the MLD4, in relation to all relevant obligations under that law to their branches and majority on subsidiaries located, as I said, Luxembourg, Europe or abroad. Second adjustment is a change of terminology. Basically, now professional must pay attention to compliance with this principle in respect of those branches in what is now called high-risk countries. And lastly, uh, clarification has been introduced regarding compliance with Luxembourg data protection rules. The principle here is basically that whenever there is a gap between data protection rules in the, let's say, the jurisdiction of the location of the branch or the subsidiary and the location of the Luxembourg professional, the highest standard should always prevail, provided, however, that there is no uh, hurdle for this in the host country, so basically where the branch or the subsidiary is located, knowing that in Luxembourg, uh, GDPR requirements should normally apply to the professional subject to the AML Act. The Luxembourg Grand Ducal regulation of 1st February 2010 remains in force with uh, no specific amendments in relation to all I just mentioned. So that means that Article 4 of that Grand Ducal regulation is now redundant with the provisions of the AML Act. So maybe we should and we probably will see uh, changes in the Grand Ducal regulation in the near future. And I will, uh, Thomas, if you allow me, uh, just uh, expand on one last point uh, in that topic and in relation to that topic, which is about the restrictions uh, that may apply to professionals in case of presence in uh, high risk countries. You might have seen that now competent authorities not only can, but in my view, shall take certain restrictive measures in respect of transactions involving high risk countries in accordance with the international obligations of the uh, European Union in that regard. And that means concretely. I would say three things. First, that the competent authority, so for instance, the CSSF, would be able to refuse the establishment of subsidiaries, branches, or even rep, office, rep offices uh, of professionals from the country concerned, for, from Luxembourg in our case, or otherwise they would be able to take into account the fact that the professional uh, in Luxembourg originates 
because of a branch, for instance, from a country which does not have adequate anti-money laundering and anti-terrorist financing arrangements. The competent authority would also be uh, obliged to impose enhanced prudential supervision or external audit requirements specifically for subsidiaries and branches of professionals located in those high-risk countries. So that means they would directly impose that on those subsidiaries. And lastly, indirectly this time, the competent authorities would be able to impose enhanced external audit requirements on financial groups in general, to which the Luxembourg professional would belong. And it's also interesting to note that uh, when uh, relying on a third party belonging to the same group for CDD purposes, so the so-called uh, third party introducer regime, um, if such party is established in a high-risk jurisdiction, any risk relating to such high-risk country will have to be satisfactorily mitigated in accordance with the Luxembourg uh, AML Act in order to be able to even use that entity, which means that if those mitigators are not available, this will simply be impossible to use a third party that is located in a high-risk country in the context of the um, third-party introducer regime. Thank you, Baptiste. Um, your last point regarding high-risk jurisdiction is uh, quite interesting. It means that a presence in high-risk jurisdiction may actually trigger additional requirements. So it's not actually only when a client is based in a high-risk jurisdiction that a professional should be more careful and thus apply EDD. That's correct, uh, indeed. This was uh, already initiated through AMLD4 and the list of uh, enhanced risk factors. Now, some more changes in that respect were added in the process of implementation of AMLD5 into Luxembourg law, and I will go through them very quickly. The main amendments to the regime applicable in case of uh, business relationships involving high-risk countries is the fact that now the AMLD5, and therefore uh, the newly amended Luxembourg law, uh, requires obliged entities to carry out enhanced due diligence in a broader set of circumstances, namely uh, in respect of business relationships or transactions involving high-risk countries rather than with persons simply established in high-risk third countries. Second element to be uh, kept in mind is the, uh, the concept of high-risk countries is further defined. It's defined very broadly, but still defined, which may trigger practical challenges for professionals to determine when high-risk third countries are involved. What we could note uh, on that point is that a high-risk country would normally be a country that either appears on the list of high-risk countries identified person to uh, Article 9.2 of the Force AML Directive, which is this list of uh, third countries that is regularly updated at EU level. It would also designate countries that are, well, actually designated as such by the FATF. And finally, it would also in include any other country that either uh, supervisory authorities or professionals themselves would consider in the context of their assessment of uh, AML-CTF risk as a high country uh, on the basis of the geographical factors that are actually set out in the law that I mentioned that were actually implemented by MLD4. Last point, which is important to keep in mind, is that uh, some of the changes in relation to enhanced due diligence in the context of the implementation of AMLD5 are actually in respect of high-risk countries. Uh, so professionals should definitely review their ML and CTF policies and procedures in detail 
in respect of enhanced due diligence uh, with a specific focus on this new regime in relation to high-risk countries. Thank you, Badist. So as a conclusion to this podcast, the main takeaways that I see Badist is that with the implementation of uh, AMLD5 into Luxembourg law, we now have quite helpful clarification when it comes to the setting up of group-wide policies and procedures, and when it comes to sharing AML-relating data within the group. Professionals have to be careful when they enter to do business in high-risk countries or to be established in high-risk countries, and they have to be mindful of the new framework relating to high-risk reduction when it comes to applying EDD. Thank you all for listening and stay tuned for our next EML podcast, which will focus on fintech.